Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to introduce you to three new Patreon supporters. So thank you so much to Jeanette Martinez, Anthony Nucio, and John James Comiskey III. I'm sorry if I butchered any of your names, but we really appreciate your support. And if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash liturgy. This week, we are talking about cremation and the funeral rite and what changes in the funeral rite if you have a cremated body. I think you'll find that this is a very fascinating conversation. So without further ado, episode seven of season four of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Hey, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween! Oh. Are we allowed to celebrate Halloween, Chris? I don't know. Does that make me a heretic? Uh, no, but probably other things do. Uh, as long <laughs> as, as long as you dress up as uh, a Friar Tuck slash Saint Francis, and you put a little a little uh, wire bird onto your shoulder. I don't need to dress, dress up. up. That's how a... I always am. <laughs> if you dress up as a saint, you're okay, Jesse. I'm, I have the tonsure and everything. <laughs> Yes, you're getting the tonsure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that name Halloween is interesting. You probably know something of where it comes from, though, I bet, huh? It means empty ween. <laughs> <laughs> no. All Hallows Evening or All Hallows Evening. All Halloween. It's from oh. the, the all evening before. All the hallowed ones. What are hallowed ones, Chris? Be the All the Saints. Yeah. And so it's the, uh, the day of... The night before the dead, so the evil. I thought you were going to say the day of reckoning. <laughs> well, kind of. The bad, the, you know, the the death is still around, but then the next day is the triumph over that. So we've like we've made Halloween into something super, you know, evil all the time. I guess it kind of is, but uh, this notion that the, the the demons and the dead are still part of our life, but we are mm-hmm. uh, going to celebrate their the, the triumph of Christ mm-hmm. over you know over all that the next day. So we Catholics, we're not Puritans, but we're also not idiots who, you know, use that as a time for well, Satanist. <laughs> speak Satan for yourself. Stuff, right? so. But speaking of dead. Yeah. So we're going to talk about dead people. Yes. Do you see dead people, Jesse? Oh, man. Can I ruin that movie right now? If you haven't seen that movie. <laughs> the answer I, is. Spoiler alert. I see dead people. <laughs> Chris, I have a question huh? about, I have a mm. question about the dead. Yep. Uh, and I'm not talking about the James Joyce play. Oh, Bazinga! Man, that Is was that a suppo- that what? was a deep Ooh. cut right there. Wow, that totally bounced off everybody. You, you guys don't know would... James Joyce's uh, play, The Dead. So what are we talking about today, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I pull out a very you know amazing literary reference, and yeah. you guys are just. It's funny. We don't want you to You're be smart. killing the podcast, Jesse. Oh, man. No, I'm not. All right. Anyway, Chris. <laughs> Jesse. What's the deal with cremation? What's the deal? That sounds like a Seinfeld. <laughs> what's the deal with what? cremation? It's neither cream nor nation. <laughs> right. People don't turn into cream when that's they're true. dead. So. From ashes to ashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, there you go. Yeah. 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 Cremation is. Uh, uh, 
You know, just this morning, actually, this is no joke. I was at a Catholic cemeteries conference where we were talking about. You uh, are the biggest nerd oh, I have ever met in my was, entire life. This was, um, this was, no, seriously, this was one of the most fascinating conferences I've ever been to. Really, really interesting. Now, granted, most of the conferences I go to, I'm the one speaking, so maybe that's why I find them boring. But this was really interesting. Were people dying to get into the conference? <laughs> yeah, see, everybody who would go to a conference like this has heard that joke before, so they don't even they didn't even say that. But, Do you, you know, know the there difference was a, a liturgist and a terror? No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting to hear all of the practices that, you know, because if you have any, unless you work in the industry or, you know, the pastoral care of uh, the, the the dead and dying, uh, probably your only, I don't know, uh, associations with uh, or familiarity with funerals is when a friend or family member dies. And so, maybe not that interested in what's going on behind the scenes uh, about how people are uh, cared for when they die. So this, this really was a very interesting conference, but there was a and lot of a lot questions of about laws about that too, right? You can't be buried near the water sources and people's decaying bodies can get in drinking water. Like it's a very complicated thing, much more than you think. Oh, it's, it's amazingly comp- uh, complicated about uh, um, record keeping uh, about uh, how, how do cemeteries have to be entered in with, um, it must be the county or the township so that the plat records can uh, accord the space appropriately. And I mean, it, it really is about how, so if you have to uh, disinter, if you have to take uh, a body or cremated remains out of the ground because you're going to move them or you're going to bury them with someone else, you have to have a permit. If you Are they part of a murder them. investigation? Oh yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's really, Did this conference really put the fun in funeral? Well, I put the uh, interest in funerals. Like I said, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> the the yeah. word interest is not in the word funerals. I don't get it. Yeah, that's, uh, the, we well, have some kind of new cultural phenomenon in the last couple of decades, right, Chris, of Catholics mm-hmm. being cremated, which hadn't really happened much before. The plot thickens. The plot shrinks. Yes. Well, there's been a real... Um, I don't know, increase in the practice of uh, cremation, you know, I think especially in the West, but even among Catholics, for the longest time, it was Catholics were uh, not allowed to have to be cremated after their death or before their death, I guess, uh, because uh, it uh, represented possibly because, you know, the body's a sacred thing. And um, if it were done for motives that were contrary to, say, the church's belief in the resurrection of the body or the care that we have for the body, and even to this day, uh, that a funeral, uh, the funeral rites are to be denied to people who would uh, choose cremation for those for those reasons. But more and more, I mean, it's just it's uh, it's it's less expensive to have funeral uh, rites with the cremation, and so. Um, I know at least in the 1983 code of canon law, I don't know if it, how much before this was the case, it allowed for cremation. And then even more recently, maybe, maybe in the late 90s, um, the Holy See said that bishops could allow, see, how, how cremation is supposed to work when it's chosen. And I think maybe not enough people know this, is that ideally, the body is to be present for there, there's three i keep going backwards here there's three stages get to the point i'll Chris. get to the point i'll get to the point there's three stages in the funeral liturgy there's the vigil then there's the funeral mass or the funeral liturgy and then the third part is the committal which takes place say at the cemetery and as you go through these three stages kind of 
you're sacramentalizing the body's final Passover from earth into the heavenly church. And this, in fact, is what the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy said when it talked about funerals, is that the reform of the funeral rites were to bring out more clearly the paschal character of Christian funerals. Okay, so that being said, the order, if you're going to choose cremation, was that the body before cremation would be present at the vigil and then at the funeral mass, and then it would be cremated prior to it being interred or committed. But... What changed you know, 20 years ago or a little bit more was that bishops could allow cremated remains to be present at that middle stage during the funeral mass. Right? Um, that's what's sort of novel and becoming more and more on the increase. What, when Was cremation allowed like always for in certain cases or never? Mm, previous previous I, to that yeah, ruling. I don't know the answer to that actually, but I, I get a sense that for the longest time, uh, you know, even though I don't know culturally when cremation, especially in the West. Oh, yeah, I suppose that's know, a became, good point, too. Yeah, so I don't know if other um, religions, I think other religions practice cremation, but in, in the West, which is mostly Christian, I don't think cremation was, uh, uh, was very popular. Although, so, in well, 1963, no. the Congregation for Rights um, put out a document called Piam et Constantem, Actually, it's Congregation for Doctrine of Faith, not the Congregation for Rights, that allowed um, cremation. And they gave some rules about it and so on. And then there's another instruction uh, that came later called Ad Resurgendem Cum Christo regarding the burial of the deceased and the conservation of ashes in the case of cremation. So there you go. Legal yeah. people want to look it up. Go ahead. Yeah, in fact, that last one, Ad Resurgendem Cum Christo. Resurgendem Cum Christo. Yeah, that's like the most recent pronouncement on cremation. And so that was also from the Congregation for right. the Doctrine. That was of 2016. Mueller. Yeah. But again, what what is what pastors and parishes and, and Catholic cemeteries and funeral directors are starting to see more and more of is the actual funeral mass or the funeral liturgy with cremated remains present. This is allowed, it's permitted, but it's not the uh, ideal. See, because our funeral liturgies grew over the you know the centuries of the church's life with having the body of the deceased person present i mean that was kind of <laughs> and when when a body is cremated it's the remains of a body but it ain't a body anymore mm-hmm. you know any more than it's nobody it's nobody that's right even though you know you you could burn down you know a, a wooden desk or something like that you could say that's the remains of the desk but that thing is not a desk anymore so when you when you burn up a body, which by the way, do you know how that works? Uh, I, I do not. Yeah. I assume there's a big oven. There is a big oven and a very hot <laughs> oven. And so the uh, the body is placed in, I don't know, some sort of combustible container. I don't know if it's wood or maybe it's even cardboard. And any like jewelry or any any obvious metal parts are removed, and the person along with this container is burned incinerated to uh to dust but then i think what they have to do is you know if you had a hip replacement or lead fillings or something they they take out all the the metal that may have been in your body and then there's also apparently quite a bit of like bone fragment that just simply doesn't get burned up and so then that gets ground hmm. up and then in the end, which you end up with, I, I guess, you know, a person's body is reduced to, I don't know, like maybe uh, 
three or four cups. You know, it, it, it's it's not a lot. Um, but that's not a body anymore. So now, what you know, the the kind of the the problem, I guess, is that the funeral rites, which have always presumed that a body is there, now has to deal with the fact that there is no body there. And so, you know, of course, what we believe about the Catholic liturgy is that. It, uh, in its words, signs, symbols, rites, gestures, actions, postures, times, places, all these things are kind of uh, sacramental signs that manifest a, a certain truth. Now, when you take the body out of the equation, then you've got to start tweaking and adjusting all of these elements of the funeral liturgy to account for the fact that the there's body. No body yeah. Yeah. And it's body probably worth saying the church prefers, doesn't prefer cremation, right? They prefer to have a body. So they can do these things, right? It's, the, well, they, it's permitted to, to do um, cremation, but it's not really the preference. Yeah, well, I, th I think you can say emphatically that the church's clear preference is that the body be present for the this middle stage, the funeral mass. Ah, uh, and now, after that, at, it's different. Yes, okay. yeah, then after that, uh, I still think you can make a case that it's preferred that the body itself be in the ground, but I think at that point, the church is certainly much more understanding and lenient on the fact that cremation is uh, acceptable. There. Yeah, in fact, this 2016 document says, the church continues to prefer the practice of burying the bodies of the deceased because it shows a greater esteem toward the deceased. Now, that's an interesting thing, that it's it's better, more esteem toward the deceased person to bury them rather than, than burn them. Chris, what are the rites in the funeral in the funeral rite that traditionally were, you know, about having a body present, and what has had to change um, now that cremation has become more prevalent? Yeah. Okay. Well, if uh, if the funeral uh, mass or liturgy, so there's two types of this middle period is it can be the funeral mass, the requiem mass, or those same rites can take place outside of mass. But this is kind of the, the middle stage where I'm going to mention some, some particular rites. So the first is, you know, if you go to a funeral, very often there's a reception of the, the body of the deceased uh, at the door. I thought the reception is after the funeral. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Please join us for funeral potatoes <laughs> uh, in the basement. But yeah, there's a reception of the body at the door. And what this is, uh, you know, I think try what is what it's paralleling is uh, way back at the beginning of this person's uh, supernatural life, let's say as an infant or even as an adult, there's a right of acceptance or there's a right of welcoming at the door. And so when you're when you're newborn baby, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Jesse. I take all the credit. Uh, yeah. uh, when you have uh, that kid baptized, Zelly, uh, the right is supposed to begin at the door. And this is where the priest says... Um, who are you? What do you want? And why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what Who name, are you? Why are you here? <laughs> what name do you give this child? What do you ask of God's church? And what does this offer you? So now at the end of this person's life, this body is similarly received at the doors of the church because there's kind of this parallel type of initiation sort of into the earthly church, as it were, and then this kind of final Passover into the eternal and heavenly church. So at a funeral, right, with a body, the body is received and uh, let's see what the priest uh, would say is in the waters of baptism, Stephen, for example, died with Christ and rose to new life with him. But now when the um, uh, and then the, the coffin is sprinkled with holy water. Now, when the cremated remains come, they're still received at the church. But the formula is a little bit different. It and says, the sprinkling's different. 
was <laughs> no, no. So, so the the priest would say, as our, our brother Stephen has died with the Lord, may he live with him in glory. But there's no reference to baptism, because I, I mean, right. So the church put these things. Don't you, spr- don't you sprinkle the yes. ashes? Yeah. Well, you sprinkle the urn. <laughs> Jesse, man. Yeah, we'll get to sprinkling the ashes at the end. Yeah. But no, so there's a sprinkling of, in both cases, but the formula, the words are different because one has to acknowledge that there's a body present and the other has to acknowledge that there's nobody present. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. Nobody. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally, that's that's mm-hmm. what it is. And so, so here you see that the funeral liturgies have to make kind of a, I don't know, a wrinkle or, or make an exception. Now, here's another one that's related to that. So after the... Uh, let's say the body is there in the casket after the priest says that formula and sprinkles it with holy water. What happens next? Uh, the pall is right. placed on the casket. Exactly. And this too is uh, evocative or symbolic of the um, the white oh, garment. The, yeah, baptism, right? Right. So when, when the baby's baptized, he's received at the church. He uh, participates in the Paschal mystery of Jesus and the waters of baptism and then is clothed with a white garment. Now, at the end of his life, he's received at the church. He's sprinkled with holy water and he's clothed or vested in the, the funeral pall. Which yeah. Is Born into white. eternal life, right? Exactly. Exactly. So the, cl- the clear question here is, do you put a pall on an urn? Jesse, you have no idea the how much of a million dollar question that is. Is that, it really? That may be, along with uh, what's the earliest time the Easter vigil can begin. <laughs> and is such and, a, such and a can holy you eat day. Meat, can you eat meat on St. Patrick's Day <laughs> if it's on right. a Friday during that's Lent? Right. Yeah, this one is right up there. Is there a Paul? So what do you think? What's your guess? Whew, I would think not. Uh, are I'll, say, I'll say yes, just to be different. Yeah, you are different. <laughs> no, unfortunately, you're very uh, uh, not different. But the the rites say that there's no pall. The the covering with the cremated remains with a pall is omitted. But I think people, you know, we're they, we're still trying to kind of get. We're tr- we're trying to make this funeral liturgy with cremated remains as much like a funeral liturgy with an actual body as we possibly can. But the church is trying to say, whoa, 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 there's no body present. And so you've got to make all these exceptions that acknowledge that. And one of which is the the covering with the pall is omitted. Hmm. Yeah. What about what about the procession down the because don't you move the casket from the entrance of the church and process towards the front of the church? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the body or the caskets received at the door and then there's this procession uh, to the front of the church and see in here too. What, uh, um, you know, I think well-intentioned in, people are trying to do is they'll make um, like carriers that you can put the, the urn in. And then it's kind of like, then you have like, just like four pallbearer types can bring in. Like a catering the, cart? Well, hopefully not like that. No, no, no. Well, you know what a, I mean. Well, I know what a catering cart is, but yeah. no. No, this isn't wheeled down. I think it's carried down. Okay. And I gather, too, um, that sometimes I hear priests say that, see, the cremated remains are supposed to be put in a worthy vessel and then brought to the church. But I, I guess this doesn't always happen. And so sometimes the cremated remains, you know, if you know the family doesn't want to buy a nice looking urn, then they just they just get it in the bag or the box wow. remains. And so I think this really yeah, this that's what that's what I hear. And so wow. this this allows for a little bit greater dignity oh, yeah. for a funeral. But now, there is with, this business yeah. too of making your 
your grandma's remains into like artificial diamonds and jewelry and other stuff. Yeah. Like no one what? could present like a piece of jewelry at a funeral, right? I mean, it, technically it is the same remains. Mm. Yeah, well, hold that thought for just a second. But okay. you are right. This is, I mean, that, what you're uh, identifying there, Dennis, is like the biggest problem. I mean, there, there's apparently no end to the creative ways that we can think of to do with cremated remains. But back to this uh, bringing the the urn forward, there's an option here. So they can be carried forward, the cremated remains, in a procession, or they can be placed beforehand in the front of the church. And so here's another one of those ways that the funeral liturgy with cremated remains is very similar to that with a body, yet it's different. So there's the, the formula for sprinkling is different. The clothing with the pall is omitted and the cremated remains can be um, placed before the funeral liturgy ever begins up at the front. Yeah. Yeah. But this, uh, w- what you mentioned just a minute ago, Dennis, about what to do with the, and you too, Jesse, but sprinkling ashes, uh, what to do with these cremated remains after is really the uh, becoming um, uh, real, a real problem to deal do with. You have to, do you have to bury the ashes still? Well, you don't, they don't have to be buried, but they have to be ent- entombed or interred, um, which means so they can go in the ground. They can go in like a mausoleum. Uh, which is above ground. They can go in uh, what's called a columbarium, which is uh, also like a freestanding. A what? It's called a columbarium. That sounds like a word Dennis would really like because of the word column. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, but it's not like that. It's C-A- what is it? C-O-L-U-M, yeah. right? B. Yeah. Columbarium. I will look yeah. the etymology hey, of that Chris, up right now. Yeah. Chris, if you can't decide where you want your ashes to remain, would that mean you're non-committal? Sorry, I had to. I love it. Ah, here we go. Columbarium. You you would yeah. never think of this. From Latin columba, which means pigeon. Or like columba marmion? Yeah, pigeon or dove and arium place for. So, you know, a columbarium is like a whole bunch of little niches. They're all in a row. And I guess it comes from the, the dovecote. Um, you know, these little houses people sometimes would build on their house, little holes, and the doves would go live there. So the columbarium is, is basically a... Dovecote, a funeral place that looks like where a bunch oh. of birds live. So how about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knew? That's yeah, so fascinating. Man, yeah, imagine this like wall of, I don't know, uh, maybe like 14 inches by 14 inches, uh, you know, high and wide and about the same deep. And that's where the the urn is supposed to be placed. And there could be a whole bunch of these together. Or I think there you can have your own, you know, say you and your wife or your kids or whatever. You can have your own freestanding columbarium. But either way, they have to be buried or interred in one of these things. And they're not to be kept on the mantle. They're not to be mixed together with, you know, your spouse someday. They're not to be sprinkled. They're not to be... Turned into jewelry. Turned into jewelry. That's right. They're not to be launched into space. They're not to be... One pastor... But why uh, not? Why not? What's our sacramental reason for not turning grandma into an asteroid? Yeah, well, the idea is I... You know, there's a, you know, and God is powerful enough to do what he wants. I mean, to the integrity of the body is a symbol or a sacramental sign of the, of this, this temple that God has given us that along with our body has made us to be us and to kind of disintegrate it like that kind of speaks contrary to that. You know, I've heard numerous people uh, make this analogy that, you know, it's, it's, 
it's like, you know, when your mother dies or something, it's like you're going to give brother, you know, your brother's going to take, take, take her leg. And then, you know, Aunt Judy's going to take her arm and then uh, Bill's going to take That's pretty weird. That's well, what they do with weird. all the uh, saints. Oh, yeah. They cut off uh, Francis Xavier's right hand because he baptized <laughs> so many people. Her head is yeah. in Siena and her body's in Rome. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. yeah Still sounds where, weird. Well, that's where the analogy breaks down, I guess. But uh, presuming so-and-so is not a saint and God, of course, is still powerful enough to put together these disparate parts back at the end of the resurrection of the body. Uh, it just, you know, it kind of speaks contrary to what we believe about the resurrection of the body. But there's, you know, even you take the faith out element out of it. I mean, there's there's a there's a degree of human grieving, right? You know, think of a close person who's a, a friend or family member who's died and you want to go see where they are buried. Okay? But imagine that they're, you know, sprinkled somewhere in the north woods of Wisconsin or something. I mean, they're gone. They're just, they're absolutely gone now. There's no place to grieve. There's no place to go. No place to localize one's, uh, you know, prayers. Do you think so, this is like a result of this movement? I probably, I know in America, probably in, in other parts of the world too, but where people are, you know, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Like, so there's this like, like ether of spirituality that people subscribe to rather than these tangible signs and symbols that we're used to in in the Catholic faith. Well, very possibly, I think, you know, but it, it's one thing for non-Catholics to do this, but it's problematic, uh, truly, when Catholics who, <laughs> who have been brought up in the faith start to do this. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe there's some influence of that. I mean, Catholics are more than simply just spiritual. I mean, they're religious people and they, re, religio means, among other things, you know, to bond or retie oneself back to God. And we do that by how we act, how we pray, what we think, how we love, how we serve and other things. And to do things contrary to that, you know, is uh, contrary to the religion that, you know, a person has professed for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Right. In this 2016 document we were talking about that Pope Francis approved, um, gives a couple of reasons that the, the ashes should be in a sacred place permanently so they're not excluded from the prayers and remembrance of the family. So there you go, this heaven and earth, mystical body sense. It also says it prevents the faithful from being forgotten, especially once the immediate generation has passed away. Like you can imagine, you know, you're having a house and, oh, there's somebody's ashes up there. Who's that? What do we do with her? You know, you throw her in the back of the garage, you know, like put it somewhere with a stone on it with a name so that people who visit cemeteries for the rest of time can pray for those that, that's true i think though what most pastors probably encounter is people wanting to do these uh, you know strange things to ashes or not out of any notorious motivation but just because of some right. pious ignorance oh yeah yeah but in any case well there's some uh, there's some reminders for you all about uh this has been this has been really fascinating. Um, not so much that I want to go to a conference about it, but <laughs> maybe enough to like listen to you talk about it after having gone to a conference. Pray you know, for the dead. The, oh, it's interesting. What what a number of them talked about is people kind of you know I don't know where your cemetery is, but people will just go in and dig a hole and bury them themselves. Or they'll go what? in and sprinkle grandpa's ashes on the, the utility department first. <laughs> the tomb of grandma. I mean, and so this is a, a, becoming a real problem. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, education and that needs to go on. All right. Well, mm -hmm. I think we should answer a liturgy question. <laughs> and, it, and if you don't think that, you're wrong. <laughs> I hope this question is spooky. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? 
Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? This week, we have a question from Daniel. Daniel says, I'm just finishing up your series on Sacrosanctum Concilium, and I'm wondering what is the pocket-sized copy of Sacrosanctum Concilium, and where might I find it? I want to buy my own copy in a small portable size like that that appeals to me. Uh, Also, which editors or authors or commentary of the document can you recommend as being Mm. good to turn to how they interpret the documents? Thanks, Mm. Daniel. Mm. Uh, the copy. <laughs> you guys are like, mm, 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 nah, mm, good questions, Daniel. Yeah. Copy that I have comes from the Daughters of St. Paul. It must be eh, three and a half inches by five inches. So, yeah, Daughters of St. Paul. I found that very helpful. Which Used translation do they use? Do you know? Uh, the, um, what is it? Is it O'Donnell? There's an Abbott Gallagher, the one of the early ones. That's the one no, I like. No, no, it's not that one. Uh, that is a good one. There's an. Flannery, someone. Yes, yes, Flannery. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Flannery translation. But that's a good point, Dennis, because they are they are different, and you know, it, it's unless of course you're reading it in the Latin. Uh, it, it's kind of helpful to see how different words are translated. You know, a famous one is that "distinguished by noble simplicity" or "the right should uh, shine with noble simplicity." I think that's uh, that's in there. But uh, yeah, I use the Flannery one published by the Daughters of Saint Paul. All right, Daniel, I hope that answers your question. No, and no, it didn't answer his question. The, there's a part two of this. What's oh. the best commentary? I thought that was the same. Oh, oh, the best no, that's just the text. That's uh, just the text. The best commentary. All right, is Daniel, lit- we're about to answer the second part of your question. The best commentary is the liturgy, guys. Uh, oh, <laughs> nailed um, it. There's the bell. The, the, bell. Bell. the bell is oh, back. It has returned. Mm-hmm. I finally brought it out of a box. I am more office. happy about that than I should be. Yes. Because you've been trained like a Pavlovian dog uh, to re- delight in the bell. Yeah. But you know wow. what? Apart from the Liturgy Guys podcast, though, is in this season, as we get to these um, post-conciliar instructions, I mean, those are the, uh, the churches. This is not quite what Daniel's asking. These are the church's official interpretation and application of these larger principles. So uh, in these podcasts to come, we'll try to lay out as uh, authentically as we can the church's mind on how she interprets Sacrosanctum. Mm-hmm. Not to mention some of the comments of the writings by popes at different anniversaries, like yeah. Vicesimus Quintus Anus, right? It's 25 oh, years after. I was thinking the exact same thing. Vatican II, isn't there one 40 years after two? I forget what Spiritus that's called. Spiritus et sponsa. Right. So, in other words, a quarter century's gone by. What does Vatican II mean? I can't wait for the sesquicentennial. So. <laughs> well, what's, yeah, one thing interesting, the 50 years has passed and there was nothing. Yeah, it just sort of happened like 40, nobody nobody cared. Just Didn't Adoramus Bulletin run something about it? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, I tell you, we're going to this year, This because November 1969 is when the Novus Ordo Missal in uh, Latin and maybe some of the other vernacular languages came to be used. So we're going to hit this hard over the next uh, year because it's the 50th anniversary of the Missal of Paul VI. But, All okay. right. 
All right, Daniel, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys or tweet Dennis at DMAX Super Taster. Taste more than you do. DMAX Super Taster. I, I think I have like uh, nine followers now. Yeah, and Liturgy Guys is one of them. Uh, but Jesse Weiler is not. Yeah. Uh, and I told people to tweet pictures of churches to you, so that was fun. Yeah, that was pretty um, cool. I did enjoy seeing those. Next time I will tell you, though. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all of a sudden I'm getting these tweets. Here, tweet Dennis your favorite picture. I'm like, who did that? All right. So thank you and God bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.